WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm April Leslie. I'm Lucas Hakes Rodriguez. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. It's homecoming week here at OU. We visit Passionwork Studios to find out how they're preparing for this year's events. The OU Farmers Market has moved locations. We'll explain how the move is affecting business. But first, we'll explore the Athens Historical Society's new photographic exhibit. A big event in the history of the city of Athens. It's a big event in the history of Ohio University. Those stories and more are coming up on the outlet. Stay with us. Welcome back to the outlet. When Ohio University famously closed in 1970 after protests related to the Vietnam War, area photographers took note. 45 years later, the Athens Historical Society has put some of their work on display. Reporter Asha Brogan took a tour. Walking into the small building on Court Street, one of the first things that catches my eye is a large black and white photograph of something very familiar but displayed very differently. The Civil War monument on Ohio University's College Green is covered in graffiti and toilet paper. Trash is littered at its base. The photo is the first that greets visitors exploring the exhibit by the Athens County Historical Society, titled The Fallen, Troops, Turmoil, and Tear Gas. The exhibit is a collection of black and white photographs displaying the 11 days of riots and protests that happened in Athens in 1970, all in response to the Kent State shootings. The majority of the collection was photographed by Ken Steinhoff, who was an OU grad and working at the Athens Messenger at the time. I took a tour of the exhibit with executive director of the Historical Society, Tom O'Grady. So these are the names of the four people who were killed at Kent State. So they're marching. This poster here says March Against Murder, 4 p.m. And so they felt like they had a, a right, and it was all nonviolent. O'Grady says that the students of the time were very tuned in to the events of the world. Their peers were off fighting in Vietnam, a war of extreme controversy. Back on the home front of OU, students were fed up with issues like racial segregation and sexism. When students began protesting and showing any opposition to rules and authority, the National Guard was called in. This is today the college bookstore. Okay. It's a pretty amazing image, is it not? (laughs) That's the National Guard? It looks like there's about 15 or 20 National Guardsmen marching across the street there. Halfway into the exhibit, I come across a photo that was taken in front of the alumni gate. In the photo, National Guardsmen are releasing tear gas and holding bayonets. It's night, and they're wearing white suits. Behind them, students have set small fires on College Green. It looks as if the campus is under attack, and in some ways, it was. It's hard to imagine that this is the same arch that students walk through peacefully today. Moving to the back of the exhibit, more photos show the sheer masses of students that turned out in peaceful support of their cause. So they were getting together in the gyms and they were getting together in classrooms. I do believe they took over Chubb Hall. Despite the violence of the previous nights, the images show students being receptive to speeches being given by President Claude Sowell. Before going home, O'Grady reminds me that Athens was a significant part of the cause. A big event in the history of the city of Athens. It's a big event in the history of Ohio University. After 11 days, the university closed and all of the students were sent home. But this is also part of a a statewide movement and a national movement, and Athens was right in the thick of it all. 
The sky has fallen opened in May for the 40th anniversary and will be closing soon, right before the holiday season begins. For the outlet, this is Asha Brogan. With Ohio University's homecoming celebration only days away, local nonprofit organization PassionWorks is getting ready to walk in the parade. Reporter Madeline Keener has more. It sounds a little frantic, but that's all pretty normal here at PassionWorks, a nonprofit art studio based in Athens. Here, artists with and without disabilities work side by side to create beautiful, original pieces of art. Today, the sounds of the artists coloring in pieces of cardboard echo through the studio. They're adding the final touches to their float for Ohio University's homecoming parade. This year, the university's theme is Same Bricks, Different Stories. It's abstract, and that was hard for the artists to deal with at first. But after a little bit of brainstorming, they came up with the perfect plan. After all, they have won Best Float for the past several years. This isn't their first rodeo. Alyssa Cardwell, the production artist and sales representative of Passionworks, says that the parade gives the studio a positive reputation. It's a good way to like show the students in the community, um, kind of give them an idea of what Passionworks is about. This year, Passionworks is getting its volunteers involved with every part of the float-making process, and studio employees say that they're getting more support than ever before. According to Mallory Valentor, a staff artist and sales representative of Passionworks, the way their artists feel about homecoming never really changes. And I would say that that's the common thread through every year, is that they're really excited about just being a part of OU's parade, and they're always so energetic. And Valentor says this relationship is not one-sided. The community really holds us high. I think that they really love us and support us, and we're so grateful to that. The homecoming parade will send off at 10 o'clock a.m. this Saturday on Union Street. Reporting for WOUB, I'm Madeline Keener. Local farmers are bringing their products to campus again this fall, but this year they're coming even closer to students. Reporter Alex Warner has more. The Ohio Mini Farmers Market debuted on September 11th in its new location in Oasis Park at the top of Morton Hill. The smaller version of the Athens Farmers Market allows vendors to introduce students to the locally grown and handcrafted products made right here in Athens. The market is held every other Friday four times during the fall and spring semester. Jeremy Bowman is a regular vendor at the larger Athens Farmer's Market and the Campus Market. He says he likes the new spot. When they were working on uh, the Schoonover, which is the old Baker Center, there was a little bit of construction over there and it was a little more hectic. So this is a nice, real nice grassy area, a little more green. OU student Alexis Smith was riding by on her bike when she noticed the market. I feel like a lot of students don't know about the farmer's market, especially because it is so far away from campus, and putting it on campus is definitely a way to make it more accessible. In moving to the new site from the old one, over by Howard Hall, the vendors hope to attract students living in the dorms. Kyle Look and Aaron Hogan are the owners of Squeaky Duck Farmstead. They just launched their business this past year. They say the mini market and its relocation has made starting out just a little bit easier. I think the new location, we have actually have increased our sales a little bit. So the, it's, the traffic is a little heavier, and I think we've actually gotten more attention, I guess. The mini market is one of the only farmer's markets in the area that doesn't charge a fee to vendors. 
For newcomers like Luke and Hogan, that's good news. We're really appreciative of OU actually letting us do this, and uh, you know the students get to buy stuff, so it's not like it's not like a, a small demonstration. It's a real, real market. Luke says a big part of the market's success comes from the college's support. I think it's great for universities to be involved in this because it's it's actually part of what needs to be educated. People need to learn about like farmers markets and local food. It's really important for kids to know where where their food comes from. The mini market will be held this fall on October 9th and October 23rd. For WOUB News, I'm Alex Warner. The Pope's historic visit to Washington, D.C. is still fresh in the minds of the lucky Americans who had the chance to see him. Reporter M.C. Tilton witnessed Francis becoming the first pope ever to address Congress, taking her radio mic along for the ride. She tells us about her three-day adventure from Athens to the nation's capital. I was deep in a library all-nighter when I heard that every congressman was given 50 tickets to see Pope Francis on his visit to America. Procrastinating from a paper, I discovered that some congressmen were hosting lotteries. Most were privately selecting who they'd give the tickets to. On a whim, I called the office of Glenn Grothman, an obscure congressman from my home state of Wisconsin. I asked the secretary about tickets. Uh, sure, she said. How many do you want? I interned in D.C. last summer, so I already knew the city and had someone to stay with. And so, the week before midterms, I was set to return to D.C. to see one of the most prominent religious leaders in the world. I hopped on a bus from Athens at 5.30 a.m. and made it to the city by 11, wandering alone with nothing but a light backpack and my radio kit. My first stop was to First Trinity Lutheran Church to see Wendy Mullen, my pastor, friend, and host. Hey, Wendy, it's Mary. Awesome. Tickets in hand, we were so ready to see the Pope. Francis's first stop was a parade near the Foggy Bottom neighborhood, where I lived over the summer. My view about 15 rows back was still pretty decent. I was right in line with the sniper stationed on top of the Smithsonian Museums, so that was good. Almost better than seeing the Pope roll by was feeling the spirits of the 50,000 people around me. They carried flags, optimistic signs, and an infectious joy that allowed conversations between strangers from all around the world. Once the Pope finally passed in his little white Jeep, all smiles, I think we carried that spirit with us throughout the day. I sure did. The next day was the big day. My alarm went off at 4.20 a.m., but it was worth it to get a good spot at the Capitol. Once we were downtown, we met up with Arya Christensen, a Lutheran Volunteer Corps member and friend of Wendy's, and Christina Sosa, the custodian at First Trinity. She cried when I gave her the ticket. I think I do not have a word to tell you how excited it is, how happy I feel, how the opportunity God gave to me for, I think, God put in my way, Angel. I'm here, but I think I'm still dreaming yet. The sun was just barely rising when we made it to the Capitol grounds. It was so cool to chat with the people around us like we weren't strangers at all. Wendy found a Catholic priest from Florida named Dominic Buckley to speak to, and it was funny to watch two priests of two different faiths talk about the similarities in their ministries. The call of the Lord, you know, it calls us to all sorts of places. <laughs> yeah. Great. I'm glad you guys got to come together. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, it was very nice. I turned behind me to make friends with some kids my age from Catholic University. 
I'm really excited to hear what he finally has to say and like hopefully talk some sense into Congress. I think that he should just push for like just a loving attitude towards Congress and to not drop the ball on anything. Now I don't love the combining of church and state, but I do love that he is here with the as the church with the state. I absolutely am fascinated by him. I didn't really know too much about him until I figured out he was coming to the U.S. So just really grateful to be here and listen to him speak. After I waited in a 70-person deep porta potty line and casually did homework on the Capitol lawn, the Pope showed up in Congress and delivered a speech that knocked the entire crowd off its feet. Mr. Speaker, the Pope of the Holy See. He spoke of the productivity and inherent dignity of taxpaying immigrants, caring for the wise elders we tend to belittle, and above all, practicing the golden rule. Let us treat others with the same passion and compassion with which we want to be treated. It was a doctrine that Wendy said wasn't so earth-shaking as we thought. I admire this Pope a lot, and some would even call him radical, which on the one hand is true, except that he's really just living out what Jesus wants us to do. And if more of us did that, then he wouldn't be radical. He would be leading us down the path that we should be living anyway. It was pretty overwhelming to be in Francis's presence. He was gentle, caring, and so humble, and for an 80-year-old man with one lung, his power was unexpected. It's no wonder that the Catholics around us went nuts when he left Congress and blessed us from the Capitol balcony. I'm definitely a person of faith, but I think even if I wasn't, I would have found meaning in what he said. Many of the points he chose to make while he was in America had nothing to do with religion. Maybe that's why it was so relatable. I have no doubt that the United States and this Congress have an important role to play. Now is the time for courageous action and strategies. I'm at implementing a culture of care and an integrated approach to combating poverty. It was hard to know what to do after the Pope left the Capitol balcony. We'd seen him parade through the city, we watched him perform masses, and he blessed each of us equally and sincerely. And so, a hundred thousand people crawled back out into the streets of D.C., inching back to our regular lives. Seeing Pope Francis temporarily cured me from my sophomore slump. When I returned to Athens, I brought a lot of wisdom, a Pope Francis bobblehead, and a blessing from the Holy See himself with me. For The Outlet, I'm M.C. Tilton. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, April Leslie. My co-host this week is Lucas Hakes Rodriguez. We're edited by Atish Baidya, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is written and performed by Ryan Gabus. Subscribe to The Outlet on iTunes, or find us online at woub.org. Thanks for listening.